0: carol last week paul this week it's not just because of the way i'm feeling but i could have just sat there and heard that the whole service <laughs> great stuff i want to thank brother uh brother lewis for filling in for me last week we were in a church um in tyler we actually scored some visitors cups which reminds us we need to get ours back in order and um the boy Rhonda sang and the boys did uh, several of their skits and i had a blast preaching and um had a good time. It's a a young church that uh, involved a lot of ministry, and uh, they'd ask us to come up and and to minister. Hey, Seth and Matt, good, you made it. Good to see you guys. I know you guys weren't feeling well, you came anyway. Good deal. But um, anyway, today I want to minister a message. I've been suspicious of the way that I'm feeling today. Um, You know, if I didn't have a mission, I'd be at home in bed just looking at the ceiling. But there are some things that are just more important than that. And, and the message today, the nature of it, needs to be said. And tonight, the baccalaureate that we're doing needs to happen. I think it's the first time uh, since 1968 uh, that we've had a baccalaureate in town, and uh, we're going to reestablish that. Um, we're going to do it. We're going to continue to do it. So pray that God will do incredible things tonight, and uh, we're feeding the kids a steak dinner, the Ministers' Alliance is, and then we're going to be ministering to them. Our choir is going to be singing with the other choirs in town tonight, and the ministers are going to be addressing the kids. And uh, I actually threw in an extra little, uh, I don't want to call it a wrinkle because it's its good, but we're going to speak a blessing over the senior class when we finish that every pastor will involve in. And I'm just really excited about what the Lord is going to do tonight. So continue to pray that uh, we go on with power and great things happen tonight. Oh, and by the way, Matthew's here today, and, and I wasn't going to say a thing, but Matt, uh, qualified for state the other day and uh, did excellent. Way to go, Tat! Uh, it's a first time in 30 years. <laughs> Je- Jesse and Jesse and Seth uh, tried their best, and and uh, they were good enough to go, but we weren't as a team. But um, uh, Matthew and Carson were the two horses that led us through. If you're on Facebook, check it out. I've got plenty of stuff in there for that. It's a way to go. Also, Colton told me that he placed second in a speaking uh, contest. Is that right, Colton? It was. Second in, in uh, speaking, was it FFA? That's right. Way to go, buddy. And uh, I'm thinking, all right, man. Good job. Way to go. God's blessed us. All right. Today, I want to deal with an issue. This is the second part in the installment that I'm doing on have you lost your mind? It's a good question. There's a lot of things that we do. Number one, we don't realize we're falling. We think we're okay. And my question to that is, that have you lost your mind? <laughs> We need help. We need God. The second installment in this series is a statement that I hear often from people that are Christians. And I want to address this because this really, really bothers me. The statement is, I am mad at God. And to that, I ask the question, have you lost your mind? We want to look at some of the reasons that people find themselves mad at God. The first reason I find is just because of injustice. Things happen that are, are wrong. They're unjust. Why is there injustice in the world? Well, obviously, it's because of sin. It's something we have done. We have created injustice. And when injustice takes place, it's not God's fault. It's not his invention. It is a consequence of your and my sin. So that's one of the major reasons that people say I'm mad at God because he allows injustice in the earth. Well, folks, listen. Let me remind you something. We're big boys and girls. When a soldier is on the front lines in Afghanistan and he's out there in a foxhole and people are shooting at him, he's not griping about you. He's not upset at Congress or the president for sending him. He is the tip of the spear of the might of the United States of America. And he accepts that responsibility. He's a big boy. She's a big girl. And as Christians, we are Christ's ambassadors on this earth. And what you have least time to do is to complain, gripe, or bellyache about injustice and why God allows things to happen. Friend, you're a soldier of Christ. You're an ambassador of God himself. It's time for us to grow up. We need to accept the responsibilities for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Why should we do that? Jesus did it himself, and yet he was sinless. You don't share that. You are not sinless. I am not sinless. So we are responsible. We are the ones that brought injustice into the world. It's not God's fault. Another reason, we have a sense of entitlement to a happy life. Entitlement's big time in our world today. It's one of the reasons that's causing our finances to tank as a nation and our deficit to continue to grow. We somehow deserve a happy life. You don't. You don't deserve a happy death. You don't deserve a peaceful death. I always told my young people when I was youth pastoring, and I, I, I tell congregations this too, is that if something terrible happens to David Johnson, if I go out painfully, And and, and something horrible, it has nothing to do with God. His love for me is concern for me. It's not his fault. There's nothing wrong with it. I am not entitled to anything but hell. And that's what I have earned. But what I have been given is the free gift of eternal life, salvation, redemption. And I revel in that. But as long as I'm in this cursed body, I'm not guaranteed a, a soft ride. I'm not, I'm not guaranteed a paved road. Again, this is a big boy thing. This is a grown-up thing. I used to ask my dad about death, and I loved my dad's attitude about death. He said, hey, it's going to happen. You know, uh, There's nothing we can't avoid. Everyone is going to die. We're going to go through that. And when we get to that point, we need to face it with courage, as I've seen so many in this congregation do. I've seen many people look death in the eyes And then they, something's going on there. Their faith is rising to the top. And they behave courageously in the face because they know they have a redeemer that has saved them from the ultimate sting of death. And that is separation from the heavenly father. Another reason people are mad at God is unbelief. And this, in my opinion, is the scariest one of them all. Because even a Christian can live with some unbelief in their life. I remember the, 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 the disciples asked Jesus, they said, please, increase our faith. Help us, Lord. Help to eliminate our unbelief. Even though we believe, there are still, still some doubts in our minds and our hearts. Unbelief is a result of a willful ignorance of the person and the nature and the plan of God himself. If you're living in any type of unbelief and you still have doubts in your mind about God, His provision, His love, or His compassion, there is unbelief seated in your spirit. And you need to have a a moment in your life where you confront that unbelief, you renounce that unbelief, and you say, that is not me. That is not who God created in me, and I refuse to live that way. I refuse to continue to think that way. Unbelief is one of the major reasons that people get mad at God. Do they believe in God? Yes. Do they love God? Yes. But yet they accuse God. They try to indict the Lord God in issues. Simple unbelief. And unbelief is also a symptom of a lack of faith. And believing and trusting that God is overall in all and through all, that even when you don't understand, it's still okay. That's what faith really is. Faith is accepting what you don't understand or can comprehend. Faith is, is, is standing and resting when the rest of the world is shaking and tossing and turning. You can't explain it. You can't write a paper on it. You just believe. And you choose to trust. That's why often when I pray for the sick or I pray for myself, God, please help me get through today. I need, you know, I need to be through today. I, I don't want to let you down. I want to I be what you've called me to be today. But no matter what happens, God, you hearing that? That's my faith speaking. That's not doubt. That's a God, if, if, if I collapse today, if I don't make it to the day, I'm not going to hold you accountable. If I don't live through this, God, I'm not going to hold you accountable. I will never, ever speak ill of you. I will always love you and respect you because I understand that I don't know everything. And just because my intellect and my understanding is limited, I will not hold you in indictment i will not hold you accountable for my lack of knowledge or understanding unbelief goes past that unbelief believes in the person of god that he's good it believes in the nature of god that he's pure and it believes that the plan of god is for my ultimate good so no matter what happens after i ask something I will never curse you, God. I will never hold you accountable. I will always love you. When it goes bad for me, you are still good. When I'm not happy, you are still good. When I don't get my way, your will is always the best way. Amen. Friend, we don't ever need to ever be angry at God. Don't let your unbelief make a confession for your life. These young people, after... We have our confirmation service. They're going to get up and they're going to make a profession of faith. They're going to speak with their mouths. They don't know everything. They don't know a whole lot. We don't know everything. We don't know a whole lot. But with our faith, we're going to speak past our unbelief. And we're going to take a hold of God. Number four. Reason people are mad at God. Death. One of the things I do in almost every funeral that I am honored to speak in. Is I I definitely address death. I talk about our attitudes about death and what we're facing. I'm not, I'm not afraid or intimidated by death. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable around it, but I also, there's, there's not this thing where God doesn't have a good hold on death. Death, when we see that something happens to someone, that's a, it's an accident, a disease, or a sudden heart attack, or things happen in people, they leave this earth. There is a, an incredible temptation. We know that God is all-powerful. He's, a, he's omnipotent. That means he has all-power. So God, if you're all-powerful, why do you allow my loved one to die? One of the questions that the seniors are going to be asking the, the, the pastors tonight is what happens in death? Why in the world does God, does God allow people that I love to die before they're supposed to? We're going to address that question tonight. You see... We, somehow, our flesh thinks that God is responsible for death. And that God, quote, takes people from us. I never have liked that phrase. And every time I hear it, I try my best to be kind about it and to redirect that comment. The reason I don't like the fact when people say, God took... To me, that sounds like if God takes one of my loved ones, that means that God did something to me. Are you following me? It means that God is responsible for my heartache. That God is responsible for my grief. That God took something from me. From the time I was in a sandbox and that little punk sitting next to me grabbed my Tonka truck and took it from me. I I feel the same way. It's like, hey. And a lot of Christians, when someone dies in life, they say, well, God took. Then you go right back to that sandbox. And when I was a kid, I fought with that kid in the sandbox. Oh, no, you don't. And I grabbed that truck back. We do the same thing when we become adults. And we get mad and angry at God as if he is killing people. Do I really have to go there? God doesn't kill people. God's not responsible for death. That's your and my thing. That's ours. We own that. We caused it. We created it. When we sinned in the garden, and if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been you. It would have been. When we sinned, we birthed death in this world. So when we die, you know what's really happening? We're just dying. God doesn't take people. People die as a result of the curse of sin and death. He has set our soul free, but our bodies are still cursed. If you're wondering if that's true... And you're my age. Look at the back of your hand. (laughs) Things start popping up. What is that spot right there? Where did that come from? And I feel like I'm 19. I really do. I'm walking around out there following Matthew in the golf course. I'm going, yeah, yeah, as if I could do that again. And I'm cheering and stuff. And I'm I'm so thrilled. I'm seeing all these kids and their young faces. Then I pose for a picture with Matthew. (laughs) And... (laughs) And then I look at the picture and go, what happened to you, Johnson? (laughs) Dear Lord, (laughs) you look like a roly-poly with a Caldwell hat on. I mean, it's (laughs) terrible. You see, my spirit is eternal. What makes me me is still me at 19. But when I look in the mirror and I see that picture, I go, oh, man. I realize that my body is cursed. That's sin and death. I can't and won't stop it no matter what ointment, what do they call the serum? Have you heard, ladies, you know it's the ladies are laughing. <laughs> I look at some of these magazines and there's magic serums everywhere. And I see people that are like 79 years old that look like they're 31. I'm thinking, man, you know, that's an expensive face and body I'm looking at right there. You can't stop it. You can feel dress it and make it look better. But friend, I'm going to tell you something. Inside, your true age is. And you will not stop that process. And it's not God's fault. It is the last thing that we will ever have to suffer. Our final enemy is death. And we had never, we'll never have a right to be mad at God about something that we... Have invented. This will be probably your biggest battlefield. When you face death. And you will. Some, Someone in your life. A friend of yours. When you do this. You'll be faced. The enemy will tempt you. He will whisper you. And he'll say God took them. Don't buy that. They just died. Like everybody else in the world. Has. Number five. The reason we are mad at God is because of the evil actions of other humans. And here's the statement that I dread the most. I despise the most. How could a loving God allow that to happen? Friend, a loving God didn't create that. A loving God doesn't control them or you. Every man, woman, and child is given a free will and those men women and child do as they will we live in a very dangerous world you want to know why we bless the children very often here or we pray over people because we know that when you leave here you walk out into an evil hostile climate that is against your even living much less succeeding and things happen to us things happen to jesus he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah said. We're not guaranteed anything good. But everything that we have is that is good comes from the Father of lights. that has no variables, no shadow of turning. He is, ever will be, and always has been good. So as Christians, as children of God, we ought to lead the charge to not blame God. To not question God. And all this goes back to unbelief. If you believe any of these other statements, it is because of unbelief in your own life. And you know what? You've got the power of that. If you will confront that this morning and say, I refuse to do that. You're better than that. You've got more than that in you. God has placed great things inside of you. But we're tempted to think evil thoughts. And it is an evil thought to blame, curse, or accuse your heavenly Father, who is the source of all good, all kind, all healing, all power, all promises. He's our best ally in the world. And if you are still questioning God, have you lost your mind? Psalm 119, verses 143. Trouble and distress have come upon me, David said, but your commands give me delight. King James says, anguish has come upon me. What's the state of man? That's where we are. Anguish, trouble, and distress is a companion of your humanity. You can't get away from it, guys. It's life. It's the way it is. And this is where that big boy statement comes in. It's time to be big boys and big girls. And you know what? The world expects us to be big boys and big girls. When they see a Christian whimpering and crying and shaking, they think, man... Well, whatever they got's not helping them pass that. I do that. Christians, you're soldiers. Soldiers in Afghanistan don't quiver, cry, and shake. They've got a job to do. They don't consider themselves heroes. They say, I'm doing my job. It's what I, it's what I do. It comes with the curse, this anguish, and this problem. It comes with a curse that we have all earned. Death is earned. You hear it called the agony of defeat. Well, the agony of defeat in this world is fair. Ah, preacher, that's not encouraging. What are you telling us that for? It's the truth. We have earned defeat. We've earned heartache. We have earned brokenness. But God, who is our source of healing, restoration, and salvation, He is the one that makes it better. Don't ever, don't you ever accuse God of anything but good. Grow up. Problems hit us all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. In your anger, in your disappointment, in your anguish, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Man, that says it all right there. Don't let your anger, your disappointment, plant seeds in your spirit that will eventually produce a plant that accuses, hates, and indicts the king of all things, of all holiness and power. Your only hope. The devil, this morning, is waiting in your wrath. If you want to find where the devil is in your life, he's in your doubts. He's in your unbelief. He's in your accusations. And whenever he dares to stick up his ugly head, you ought to just smash it down. You've seen that little game of the Cardinals pop, 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 pop with the gophers. Every time that devil pops up, knock him down. Do not allow him to take that foothold in your life. Because once he gets it, he wants to keep it. He doesn't give it up easily. You have to discipline your soul, discipline your spirit and your thought life. I will not accuse God. I'm not going to give him a place in my wrath. You can be mad. The Lord's telling you, you can be mad. But don't give the devil a place there. Because he's waiting somewhere in that anger. Pride is a cousin of selfishness. And pride is a selfishness of unbelief. The reason people accuse God is they're proud proud people. They are. They're prideful proud people. Proverbs 29, verses 22 and 23. An angry person stirs up conflict. And a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. When you say, God, you first, me second. God, I don't get that. I don't understand that. He doesn't mind that. He doesn't mind that. But he doesn't want to be held accountable for sins. Sins that he paid for on a cross. You want to talk about injustice? That was injustice. But that injustice brought you justice. How cool is that? You know, Paul, when you were singing that song, Faithful and True, I thought, how fitting. You didn't know what I was doing today. I thought, that's our attitude. And when he began singing that, I just just thought, God, he's right. You are faithful forever. You are true when I'm an idiot. You're incredible. God, you, I, just, I just love you so much. That should be our heart's cry to our Heavenly Father. Not this. God will never deserve a finger wagging from you. It's God, I don't understand. But you know what I do know? I know you're good. And I know my lim- lim- limited faith and intellect won't receive that right now. But deep down inside, I'm going to have an aha moment when I see you face to face. And I'm going to say, oh, that's it, God. Of course. Of course you were right, and I was wrong. Your pride will bring you down. There are people, there are how-could-loving-God people who feel that their morality is higher than God's. When you begin to look, there's no good way out of this. When I hear that statement, I think, are you saying that you need to revise God here? it, 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 It baffles me. How can we make that statement? How can we think that thought? That how could a loving God statement. It's been around from the beginning of time. What are we saying? God, I'm kinder than you. I have more mercy than you. I have more compassion than you. Wow. How incredibly arrogant and foolish. Your lack of understanding and limited intellect, because we are finite beings, will not indict a perfect, loving, just God. As a matter of fact, I said this when I prayed a little while ago, and I, I, I begin to say it more and more and more, that if God your Father were to remove His hand that you're not aware of in your life right now, I believe with all of my heart you would die in seconds. I believe that. I believe that this earth is that hostile. I believe there are microorganisms that scientists don't know about. I think there are things that we're clueless about that the only reason we continue to live and make that smile on our face is because of the goodness of God. And he does it to people also that don't love him, that don't care for him. But he does it for them because he wants them to eventually come to that place. So he giveth grace, he giveth grace, and he giveth grace, just like he's done for me and for you. Is God good? Come on now. He's incredible. I really believe That without his protection, without his care, we would die in seconds. Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Since an overseer manages God's household. Now this is talking about elders in the church and bishops. Now let me give give you a quick heads up here, okay? When I say elders and bishops, I'm not talking about elected people. Come on now. Do you really think that you elect elders? Do you really believe that? Or are you the kind of person that believes that God inspires? That the powers that, that, that be are ordained of God? We need, to, we need to stop and think about this. Listen, an overseer, which I consider every one of you should be or will be, manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing. You can't afford those luxuries. Not quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. Not pursuing dishonest gain. These are qualities that we should all be. Not just because you've been quote, elected to an office and standing for a congregation. But in your workplace, you, my friend, are an elder. In your workplace, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You don't say, well, I'm not going to run for that office because I don't want to live that way. Sorry, friend. You're shooting way below the mark. God has High expectations for all of you. Wow. <laughs> Wait till Rhonda hears about that. I was so sick, I knocked the windsock off the microphone there. <laughs> Every one of you are capable of incredible things for God, and He's counting on you being that person in the workplace. Matthew, and being that person on that golf team at being that person wherever he's placed you don't be quick to be mad don't act like everybody else there's a high calling on your life and in that high calling the last thing you should be capable of is accusing and a, a perfect loving god that is right now sustaining the next breath you're about to draw no one ever has a right to be angry at God. Don't be self-willed. Don't be soon angered. <laughs> you, you don't have that luxury. Faith will control your emotions when this temptation comes. So the next time you're tempted to say, God, what's the deal? I don't, I don't get why would you do that? I want you to, with the next breath you make, say, God, increase my faith. My soul is, My spirit knows better. My flesh is stupid. Please forgive that idiotic statement I just made. How can I say that? I've made that same statement, and I've also finished with that same response. We need to understand. Let your faith, let your soul speak, and tell your flesh to shut his mouth. Haven't you ever met somebody who said, you know what? You need to just be quiet. Have you ever ever known somebody like that? Yeah, apparently so. That's the attitude you should have to your own flesh when it begins to say ridiculous things to a perfectly just God. Here's how faith will control. And this is who God is in you. And I want want to speak to your faith right now. I want to invest something in your faith. I'm speaking this to your soul. Your flesh isn't going to get this. Your flesh will never get this. But I am speaking to your soul I'm speaking to your spirit that is eternal right now. God is perfect. God is just. God is loving. God is so generous. And he is also the originator of all good. God is your redeemer. He is, as he tells us in Psalms, the lover of your soul. Wow. He has suffered and died for your actions. This is our God. And you know what else? He's not mad at you. How many of you agree with me that God deserves to be mad at us? It doesn't take you long to think that one through, does it? But He's not. He's not mad at you next question that I say to that is, if you are still accusing God, have you lost your mind? Please reconsider. Let your faith and your soul speak. The fall of man is responsible for everything bad in your life, everything unjust in your existence. And in that fall of man, let me remind you, you are culpable. You are an accessory to that crime. Child of God. I want you to accept the goodness of God. Love him. And when you ask him for things, if things don't go your way, I want you to put your big boy, big girl shoes on, okay? And I want you to do something that will shake hell to its foundations. When things don't go your way, when you're not happy, I want you to look at God and say, faithful And true, wow, I will not speak against you. You know what Job said? Job lost his wife, he lost his family, his children were killed, his finances, and now he's sitting in a heap of ashes, rubbing big, huge boils that popped out on his skin. Before his wife left him, she said, You know what, dude, on my way out, you need to curse your God and die. And Job responded, he said, "Though he slay me, I will still serve him." Now that wasn't Job's—that—that—that that, 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 that was that wasn't Job's flesh speaking there. That was his spirit and his soul speaking. And the next time you're faced with crisis and trouble and anguish, I challenge you: let your soul say something. Let your spirit talk. And I'm telling you, when you do that, you will become a force to be reckoned with Bishop, elder, ambassador of Christ, and we will shake this environment that God's placed us in. And when we die someone can put something on your tombstone and said she mattered. He mattered and made a difference. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father. you are faithful, you are true, you are incredible and you know you know me. You know everything about me. God, I've put my faith and my trust in you. I want to silence my flesh. I want to speak with my spirit that is eternal, that you have redeemed. I want to reassure you, Lord. This congregation wants to reassure you how much we love you and respect you. And we do believe, not just when things are going good, when things stink, we believe. When things go against us, we believe, we trust, we hope, and we love you. Help us, God, to do what you have called us to do, and that's to change the world. We love you and praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please. Brother Paul, take us out, brother.